0: Hey, everybody, it is Chris from Running Rogue here back in Austin with Steve Sisson. Hey, Steve. It's nice and warm here. This is a special edition episode that we're going to release on a Thursday to recap the Boston Marathon as well as to give our London Marathon preview as the press conferences are happening in London and the temperatures have swung from freezing nor'easter conditions in Boston to Heat wave, hottest temps ever in London. As the marathon can do, it will throw anything at you and see if you're ready. So we will see if those athletes are ready. But we've got to go through it, Steve. This is all. Go- this is going to just be, you know, fan geek kind of stuff. First of all, we wanted to thank everybody who jumped in to watch Steve and I commentate on Monday at Boston. That was. Super fun for us to get up on Facebook Live and do that. I think we we did okay with it, Steve, until we had sound and technical difficulties at the end, which we we learned some lessons there, and we'll do better next time. But it was fun, and if you liked what we did with that, please do shoot us an email with any feedback you might have, chris at roguerunning.com. We'd love to hear what you thought about it. Is as we might be doing something like that in the future with future events, but we've got to have not a, not this one though, not right? Not this week. We're not doing <laughs> London. We've we would like to, but we, we need a breather. We're cooked. Steve, Steve cooked. Uh, but we do have to recap Boston when we had a a course side seat there at the UFOs pop up there off of Newbury Street. We were directly in the middle of the Hereford stretch between Commonwealth, where you make that right on Hereford. And Boylston, where you make the left onto the finishing straight. And so we had a pretty good vantage point of the elites coming by. And it was a crazy day, Steve. Absolutely I, I don't crazy know that day. crazy can even
1: <laughs> suffice to cover what, what, what happened on that, on that day. So let's start by talking about the weather.
0: Obviously, everybody who's listening w- either participated and experienced it or saw it on their screens. You know, for me as a coach, I feel a little bit like I let my athletes down in terms of weather preparation. Yeah, I I think I was a bit more dismissive of the conditions than I should have been in hindsight. But I I don't think I or anybody really anticipated how bad it would be because you had the three factors, the cold, the wind and the rain. And all of those three things were sort of to the right extreme of what we anticipated. (laughs) I mean, the cold was a little cooler than we thought. The wind chills cooler than we thought. The wind was, especially as the day progressed, got worse and worse. And the rain, probably the, the, the factor that was more extreme than anybody thought. We thought it might be drizzly all morning and kind of intermittent rain. But it was once that race started, it was buckets, buckets and steady and sort of was the X factor that I think affected a lot of people because once you get wet and you throw in the wind where you know, it was blowing any, any body, fee, body heat you were creating away, not to mention eliminating any drafting opportunities you might have because the rain's still hitting you anyway, sideways, it. It just made for really, really extreme conditions, as everybody saw, and everybody, everybody's bodies reacted to that differently from the from the racers that we've talked to. Some people had the one extreme of hypothermic type conditions, where they were shivering and teeth chattering, as as Shalane and Molly described, to the other extreme, to those that said, "Look, it was cold and miserable, but it you know wasn't that bad for me." So I think everybody's bodies reacted differently, which meant that everybody had very different kind of ability to withstand those conditions as you re- reflect on it steve
1: what do you think the weather meant on that day um i don't feel any guilt whatsoever i don't know that i've run in many cold windy rainy situations and i know that a five-minute window of time or a two-hour window of time can make all the difference. And if you told your athletes not to continue the plan as the plan went, it's, then I think that they might the conditions might have turned out to be better. And I don't know in any way, shape, or form how you could critique yourself in that regard because, or overly criticize yourself, I should say. I mean, critiquing, we can all critique, right? But overly criticizing yourself because as you said, individuals are individuals, and even if you think you could predict it, you can't predict it, in my opinion. Um, number two, you're at, you did give them you gave them all every athlete that was running for Rogue that had the opportunity to come to your talk would have heard you say, "You adjust happens in the context of the race itself." And you gave them all the, all the Intel that they needed to know before that. Now, maybe, as you contact with each one of them individually, you might have dismissed the 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 way that those conditions might have played out, but that's you know it's not like the heat Chris, where we can make real definitive uh designations on what that how that will affect people. you know we know exactly you know five degree differences in temperature do specific things, and we do have to individualize those in some cases, but um the extreme the, the, the weather extremes are adjusted extremely different from heat to cold. And I think that the cold, um, So as you said, some people did okay with it. I mean, nobody did good with the wind. That was the big deal. But everybody could have handled the other pieces. And you know, I don't know how you, how you really could have done anything differently than what you did. Because if you had done it differently, I think you might not have prepared your athletes to go in there and do battle. If you hadn't prepared them to go in there and do battle and have a plan and they didn't have a plan... I bet you you would have had more people drop out than you did. So I, I just think that it's hard. I would, I would give you yourself more, more credit for that. Okay. I certainly have no guilt whatsoever for the way that I planned my attacks for my athletes. And I didn't, I didn't have wins all the way down the line. In fact, I got very few based on that basic delineation of, did you hit your goal time? So how much did the weather affect people? You know, people are asking me that now. They want to know, how much time can I take off my race result because of the weather and um, I'm handling that in an individual cases and in white individual base basis by basis but um, I would say there's significant time that can be taken off for the weather conditions on this particular course given the way that it all played out so you know I think that it it was a shit show as we as everyone was saying before there's no doubt it was an epic shit show and yet almost every athlete that I had came away from it feeling like they're better for that experience and that they learned so much and that they're going to be better racing in other races.
0: Yeah. That's the thing. I mean, when the elite athletes are running 20 minutes, in some cases slower than what they're capable of. In it, every in, case. In Chalene's case, 25 minutes slower than, or 24 in, minutes slower gots. than her course PR. Then, you know, the, the weather was something. Now, how it affected each individual athlete, that's an individual kind of case by case situation. I mean, as I said, there were some that ended up in hypothermic situations and and had that effect, and there were others that that were able to manage it better for whatever reason. It is interesting to me as you hear some of the elites talk about their reactions. You know, Shalane talked about how her teeth were chattering at mile three, and her femurs were breaking. Her femurs felt like they were going to break. break at mile six <laughs> miles into a marathon, and so and then the next morning she said. I've never been so sore after a marathon, and she added, "Thank goodness the Desi won <laughs> to make it all feel better." But, yep. but when you when you when everybody's reacting differently, and I think what started to happen for some people was the body's alarm bells started going off. You know the wha wha wha. You know something's wrong. Shutting down, trying to shut down muscles, shut down what was happening to to seek kind of indicate that it's time to seek shelter when that starts happening. And then you're basically having to fight your body's defense mechanisms for 26 miles. I mean, that's insane. And so really, truly anybody who towed the line on that day and got to the finish line should be proud of their effort, regardless of the time. Yep.
1: I agree. And I I also think that there are people who, You know, and I think in all of Rogue, Chris, we only had one athlete who didn't complete the race from all the people we had step on the starting line. And that one person that didn't complete the race, I coach him. And I know for a fact that he he only is regretting the fact that he did not finish that race because then Rogue would have been able to say 100% of our athletes finished. Right. And I think that's the only reason why he actually really feels that maybe he should have finished that. Uh, because and I don't think he should have finished. I don't think that that's any good reason to do it. You don't just do it just to do it. But it it just shows the level of t- tenacity, toughness, and um. And I think we had some people. You know, we had one athlete in there particular who spent an hour in the med tent and um, during the race during the in race mile twenty right in the mile in the race. And I'm not sure he should have completed the race, but he just had some other thing that he decided that he was going to do no matter what to make that thing happen. So, um, you know it. I think it's a case-by-case basis. I'm proud of the fact of the result that we had. I think it was one of the best days in my team, Rogue, one of the best days we've ever had based on the weather conditions and how my athletes competed. Um, I do have critique of individual athletes, but I always have them of each and every individual athlete on how they can handle things a little bit better. But I was gener- I was absolutely proud. I mean, and I, I actually put a post up on Facebook that said, anybody that got to that starting line gets a W. Um, they should get a win out of that because – and if you cross the finish line, you get extra special kudos. <laughs> right. So, um, but even getting to the starting line and still continuing to keep your he- eye, your, your head in the game, and keep the eyes on the prize, and still chase what you wanted to get. Now, Chris, we did have some athletes that still got what they still wanted. got what they wanted, and even more. So, right. um, but I do think that those are definitely the special cases. And um, you know, regardless, I think it was it was no good reason not to be a warrior. Yep, But the, there's never any good reason, in my opinion, not to be a Warrior. The stats, there's some interesting stats from the BAA
0: on percent finishers. The, the, the number of DNFs in this year's race was about 4.5% of the field that started, which is only about 50% higher than it was last year, which, where it was around 3% of the field didn't finish, which to me is a mind-blowing number. I mean, given what we saw, and I remember it was about mile five or six when the elite men were being shown on the screen and you couldn't actually see them (laughs) because the downpour had increased to the point where you could literally not tell who was who in the men's pack. And that was the point where I knew we've got challenges because, and especially because it really didn't let up. It just kept going like that. And so there's a lot of people, you know, it was interesting, 60% of the invited field, the Hancock elite field, that's not necessarily everybody who started early or everybody who started at the very front, but the invited sponsored athlete field, 60% of that field did not finish.
1: (laughs) And yet yet
0: only 4.5% of the entire field didn't finish. And that's crazy to me. It just tells you
1: how much... or how tough this group of runners is at the starting line. I think it also tells you how important this race is. I mean, I think it's always been important, Chris, over the, you know, since 1950 on, it's been important. I think after the bombing, it's become even more important. People were not allowed to finish that race at the, you know, for the, when the bombing happened. And I think anybody that has the right reasons for being on that starting line recognizes the value and the importance of being on that starting line. And so, therefore, m- almost all of them know what it means to get that finisher's medal and to, and to be a part of that, that parade or pageant, as we talked about when we talked about the pre-race stuff. So, um, yeah, those people who don't value it, didn't finish. <laughs> the people who did value it, finished. And that's not necessarily to a person, but that 4% of people who didn't finish, I'm, I'm very sure that most of those people had a very good reason why they didn't get, get, right. get it done. And that's the thing. I think. You
0: can't throw stones to the DNFs because you never know. I mean, there were 2,300 people treated at the med tents. There were 80 people that were taken in the hospital with hypothermic conditions. And look, it's not worth your life. So there are certainly some people that had to make a tough choice. I mean, our situation, he was walking, couldn't move on his hamstring, was reduced to a walk in those closing miles, still had several miles to go. In those conditions, without moving and creating body heat, I don't, it wouldn't have been
1: smart for him. Yeah, you and I talked about you know after the race when we were on our way back to our hotel. Which afterwards we took, a I took a big nap. Chris continued to be fanboy and basically looked up everybody's post race. You, you guys want to know who the who the who the biggest fan is here? I'm I'm now seeding that over to Chris. He deserves it. He's earned it. But you know we talked on our way back to our hotel that I asked you, Chris, would you have finished given your conditions two years ago when you had your foot break in the middle of the race if you had had the same weather conditions. And you didn't say yes or no, but you certainly gulped. (laughs) And you were like, I'm not sure. You know what I mean? And that's where the case that Arik was in with that was there's just no, only the ego or some kind of real commitment to something way beyond what your race is would really justify someone walking that race in like that. But then we have Ashish.
0: (laughs) Then Ashish spent an hour in the med tent. They had a bus sitting there waiting for him. They said, look, you can get on the bus when you're ready. He'll take you to the finish. And he said, no, we're going back out. Yeah. And and I mean, he said he stopped and went to the med tent because he was shivering so badly at mile 20 that he couldn't run in a straight line. And he was running into people. And so he realized, I've got to get over to the sides. So he found the med tent, got in there, got warm, took him an hour, and then jumped back out there. I mean, to me, it's like props to
1: Ashish, the man is a warrior. Did you read that article about the gentleman who did get in the bus and did have to go back to his hotel, and then he decided he got warm, got some tea in him, and took a Uber back to the spot, to the aid station that he dropped out, that he got taken wow. out at, and got back on the in the course and kept running. The course, of course, closed on him as he was finishing, yeah. and he jumped on sidewalks and everything else, but they allowed him to come across the finish line, wow. and he crossed the finish line. So he had gone home. That's crazy. And then gone to his hotel, warmed up, and everything else. Took an Uber and went back out onto the course. So, and he said, See, he said to him, he said afterwards, he goes, "That's what this race demands." And I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that I made the decision that I made, and I felt like I absolutely this was going to be his last marathon. He said, or at least for a long time, as he needs to spend time on his business and his and his family and everything else. And yeah, that's a pretty cool story. The other thing to mention here,
0: as it relates to DNF, sixty percent of the invited field. It's easy to cast aspersions to those elites that dropped out, but I think it's important to keep that in context too, because some of the, a lot of those athletes had hypothermic conditions that might've been extreme and it took them out, but also they have to make a financial decision. Absolutely. Which is which the everyday runner, that runner in the main pack, doesn't have to make, which is that I might be able to drop out from this race if I know I'm out of it and go to another race and earn a payday somewhere else. And so they're having to make financial and career decisions in the midst of also making personal well-being decisions that are just different. And it's, it's impossible for us to understand what's going through their mind. And, I mean, it does make me you know, love and appreciate those elites that did finish even more. Shalane, Molly, Eddie Kibble but at the same time, I I have to be careful not to throw stones at those elites that didn't finish for whatever reason. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Let's talk about the elites. (laughs) Let's talk about the women's race. Obviously insane in terms of, you know, nobody could have predicted (laughs) the top. I mean, if you had a you know like a March Madness bracket for this with predictions for this for these top five women on the on the marathon side, d- nobody would have had it right. Nobody. I mean, we certainly weren't even close. We didn't put Desi in for the win, and the other four essentially on paper had no chance at the start of the day. So no, nobody
1: would have put them in the top five. I mean, the fifth place finisher. Really, you know, we have a question about whether she should even be in the top five because yeah, she time. didn't start in the elite race, and so how does that play out? There's some questions there about what that's all about, but um, it could be that they just put her there for that reason, but then didn't give her a payday. But who knows? Those. So let's talk about Des, and obviously that story's been
0: told a lot, but I just want to reflect on the fact that this was her sixth Boston, her second slowest time. Her first lowest being in 2007, when she first ran this race in 244 to finish, finish 18th. She ran 239 this time, got the win in her sixth attempt. And, and this was actually her first big win any time in her life. She, she never won a high school championship. She never won anything in college. She was an All-American a few times, but did not actually have a win. She's never won as an elite athlete a marathon or a 10K. She's finished second a few times in Boston and Chicago. She finished second in a couple 10Ks but has never won a race at any level and she does it on the biggest stage to break the drought since 1985 for the U.S. women in Boston. What is this? What, what are your reactions to Dez's win here?
1: I think anybody that heard our Facebook live <laughs> feed would have tell that you and I were both absolutely Ecstatic, and you know, we said this repeatedly, Chris, both to each other offline and online, and on this podcast, that we would be very, very, very happy, and we'd be most happy if Desi would win. Um, and so we were. That the first reaction is just sheer, and utter joy. The next reaction is the way that race played out and the way it happened. By you know, thinking she was going to drop out, and then telling um, her competitor, somebody who she was, who who in the interview before the race people were trying to pit everybody against everybody she leans over to her and says hey if you need any help during this race i might drop out let me help then chelaine decides she needs to go to the bathroom which i need to correct myself she did go number one and not two i repeatedly said <laughs> number two like about a yeah. hundred times you would think you would be i still don't understand that that's something yeah. she might want to work on by the way <laughs> just gonna say but to her, to her credit she said she felt like they were going so slow it would that be, it wouldn't be a big yeah. deal and yeah. it wasn't right yeah. and it wasn't um uh, that he helped, she helped both of her teammates on the context of that race. So, just the way that whole thing played out, Chris. Um, n- nearly every person I know before this race was a huge Desi fan. And now we have a whole bunch of new Desi fans. And I think a lot of people who, no harm, no foul, you maybe didn't even know who elite athletes were. Maybe you didn't even know that there were elite people that you should pay attention to. But what Desi did and the sportsmanship she showed, the character she showed, And the absolute toughness that she showed were monumental. Now, Chris, there's one thing I want to say, and she said this repeatedly before and after, and it's the thing that I think that everybody should take away from this race, and they should take away from Des Linden in general, is that she said, just keep showing up. Keep showing up. If you keep showing up, who knows what will happen. Um, There are days where your result and the things that you, your plan A will not come to fruition. But that doesn't mean that you necessarily give up. You just keep showing up and you keep showing up. She found other reasons to keep her going. You know, she didn't want to drop out. She thought she should, but she didn't want to. So she leaned on other things to get her through it. And she just kept showing up. And next thing she knows, she takes the ride on. She gets, goes into the Newton Hills in third place after having run Molly Huddle off her wheel trying to get Molly Huddle reconnected to the group right, right. into the race yeah. and she looks up there's nobody around her she sees one girl in front of her she sees uh, another one up ahead and she says well shit here we go i, guess I, can't I know where out now. i know where i am now <laughs> yeah. i've done this 6 5 other times and i know how to manage this and uh, you just watched her you know it was just a workmanlike blue collar toughness approach of showing up and getting the work done And the chips will fall where they may. And good Lord, they fell for her very well. Huge payday for her on top of everything, you know?
0: The thing that's cool to me, given the drought back to 1985, is to have somebody like Desiree do it and to be followed by what I'm gonna call sort of normal women that aren't necessarily sponsored elite athletes, finish out that field on the toughest of days. I mean, what that will do to inspire the next generation of runners who can sit there and say, look, if those ladies can do it, I can do it too. I mean, it just, it gives me goosebumps to think about it. Because, you know, if it had been Shalane, that would have been awesome. We would all be loving it and celebrating that. But Shalane is running royalty. I mean, she has two parrots with (laughs) crazy (laughs) endurance DNA. She's always been a champion. And so if she had done it, you know, maybe some people would look at that and say, you know what? That's for her because she's born for it. But Des, she wasn't born to win the Boston Marathon. At no point in her life would you be able to point to, the, to, to her and say, that's a Boston, future Boston Marathon champion, at least from the outside, at least from a resume perspective. But if you know her heart, if you know who she is as a person, then you would say, that's a champion person right there. So anyway, it's just cool to me because I think women the future
1: generation of American marathoners will be inspired by this result. Five years ago, I don't think that the women would have, I don't think the American women would have showed up the same way they showed up in this race. I think maybe I would have been one or two who might have continued to power through and get it done. But I think that the lead that Desi and Shalane have shown, what Amy Hastings has done, the level of elite women's running, elite women's marathoning in the United States, elite, elite women's track and field in general in the United States, means that women will continue to fight for everything they have. And I hope the men will take note. And I hope they will recognize that Yuki's result here, the, the men's winner, proves that if we had had men who were more in alignment with getting being a part of a big, big picture and being willing to suffer and push through, not to take anything away from the American men that did get in the top five, but they stumbled there. And I think that the American women hold themselves there. And they did it together. Absolutely. I mean,
0: it was awesome to see Shalane and Molly's interviews afterwards and and their tweets and so forth. That just, you know, they had tough days. Shalane and Molly both had really tough days, and they said that, but they said it's made so much better by the fact that Des won. You know, she, she's deserving, and, you know, they could rest easy. I mean, Shalane said she didn't hardly sleep that night because her legs were hurting so badly, but he woke up and said, It's okay. Des is the champ. So that kind of respect and the way they all sort of thought about each other first. In addition to being the fiercest of competitors, is so so cool. Now let's talk about some of these women that finished behind Sarah
1: Sellers. I mean, we we were trying to figure out who it was as we looked at the finish. Well, and, uh, and in my defense, I would have known if I had known what her <laughs> maiden name was. Yeah, we because, got thrown off by that. Yeah, I knew that Sarah Callister had run at Weber State, and I knew that she was. I think mean, she'd run thirty-two minutes for ten k, and which is very legit. Which is really legit, and and I do think that one of the other things that people need to realize. When they look at her time and say 244, she said in her post-race interview, she was pretty confident, she and her coach were pretty confident that she was somewhere between 232 and 230. I think her coach thought she was in 230 shape. She was a little more reticent than to say that, but she was confident enough to say that she was in 232 shape, which anybody who's a marathoner knows the difference between those two things. And, um, you know, so I think that you saw a result that was indicative of her fitness and only be four minutes behind Desi Linden on a day like that is definitely testament to the toughness of those two women, but it's not to denigrate what Sarah did. It's much more that she probably she was just not gonna. You know, she's she's from Utah. She trains in terrible, yeah. terrible conditions. She doesn't live there now, but she's in Arizona. She knows Full-time how job to as a nurse, and she knows how to deal with all those things. So I thought that was uh, you know, once I knew her last name, I was like, oh, that wasn't as big a surprise as I would have thought because we couldn't find her anywhere when we were doing searches. We saw that she'd won one half marathon, one half marathon but even then it was still, I couldn't even get her tifer's results, which, you know, are, are the collegiate level because she was using her married name and not her maiden name. So, um, yeah. So it, anyway, that it doesn't change the fact that, you know, pay $185, get to the starting line, pay for your own hotel. Someday it might result in a $75,000 <laughs> payday. Yes. <laughs>
0: So cool. So cool. And all of the women in that, that sort of three, four, five, six spot have similar stories. So, so many good things there. And, you know, we don't have time to recap all of those things. But suffice it to say, we were as happy as can be that Desi Linden is the Boston Marathon champion. Congrats to her. and Congrats to all of those women that stayed in it. And kudos to Shalane Molly and Edna Kiplagat who got it done and finished even though they were going to be way off of their expected times on the men's side steve yuki kawauchi if we could tell who it was i mean we couldn't see the names because of the the screen really but if we knew who it was then i mean we mentioned i know in our feed that watch out for the japanese runners and we talked about the tradition that they have and so when we saw that Japanese runner go off the front early and then kind of keep surging throughout the race. Once we knew who he was, we knew he was... And then once we knew who he was, we're like, "Uh uh-oh, this guy. Yeah, (laughs) because...
1: The people's champion. The
0: people's champion, (laughs) they call him in Japan. He's got the the record for the most sub-220 marathons and the most sub-212 marathons. This guy ran a marathon in history. Yeah, in history. And he ran a marathon on January 1st. I don't know if you saw the full details of that, Steve. He ran a marathon in Massachusetts. It was minus one degree Celsius. And the wind chill was even lower than that. He, it was one of these free entry sort of show up kind of fat ass style marathons like we have here. And he was the only finisher. And he won in 218. Because <laughs> he was the only one that stuck it out in those crazy conditions. And this guy was relentless. He went off the front with a 437 first mile apparently the NBC feed didn't even give the initial splits because they thought they were wrong. They thought there's no way <laughs> that they're going out that fast. But he kept it honest from the beginning. And he, and I don't know if it was his plan or his strategy to, to kind of push and then pull back because he would push and then pull back into the field. I think what happened and was he, he would push.
1: push and then the field would connect because they knew they that he was him. good enough. I mean, he's a 208 marathoner, so they knew he was good enough that they couldn't just let him go, Right. right? So... They knew that they needed to have respect, especially on a day like that, because a guy like that is, they're not, I don't think a Meb, another Meb situation is going to happen at the Boston Marathon anytime soon. And so right. there are a lot of people recovering moves and, you know, to Yuki's credit, he didn't, he knew that once he got sucked back in, he probably should relax for a little bit, but then he would take course, it. It again. looked like he would take the assessment of the guys around him. So nobody really wanted to do any work. And so he would go do it again. And, you know, he, sh- he was shaking the tree and he knew he was going to be yeah. tough enough he probably saw people suffering. He saw Galen Rupp in his baklava or whatever else <laughs> wondering what was going on. And, you know, you know, and then, and then when, you know, Karui goes off the front, he, he just, and, and shatters the pack. He just says, oh, well, I'm going to get second or I'm going to keep running. I'm going to keep running as hard as I can. I'll get yeah. what I can get. Yeah. But little did he know. Karui would blow Karui up. Karui would blow up. With that Nike parachute on. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> Karui, I mean, we, I think
1: we calculated it. was about a two-minute gap
0: at one point.
1: So yeah, was- we were absolutely flabbergasted. We could not believe it. People were telling us that Yuki came by him. And we were like, no way. There's right. no way. We had no idea. and Because we were so excited about the Dez thing, that what was going on with Dez. We were, we were just completely beside ourselves. In fact, we were so excited about the Dez thing, we didn't even know... That Sarah was the second place finisher right, because right. I saw, we saw a woman pass. come past yeah. and I was like, wait, how is that possible? What's going on here? What, did, did somebody mm-hmm. run the course early? It was, right. it was really confusing and hard to tell because, you know, honestly, and it's our fault, Chris, for not, you know, we didn't have a producer. We were on our own flailing away, <laughs> but we won't make that mistake again. That was definitely a, a, rookie, a rookie call mistake, wasn't it?
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of chaos, but. He, but yeah, Curry blew up. Kawuchi came by him and Curry, and he ran a 730 final mile. He almost got caught by Shadrach B. Watt from Brooks Hansen's. He was absolutely blowing up. Now credit to him for staying in and for getting it done and finishing. But hats off to Kawuchi. I did see, you know, he's got a full-time job. He's got a full-time job in Japan. Apparently can't take sponsorships as a result because he works for the government, but he has said now that uh, through an article posted in Japan, that he's going to retire or not retire, quit his job next March and become a professional runner, (laughs) which is kind of crazy because the guy does like 12 marathons a year as it is. So hats off to Yuki for running an absolutely gutsy race. You know, Krui, props to him. I, I think his only mistake was going too soon. You know, and he saw Galen on the ropes. I mean, as you saw that happen, it's like he saw Galen fall back. And I think he thought, all right, we've got to make
1: the move now. And, he, and- he, he, may, he talked to a couple. Of, we saw that he talked to a couple of Kenyans. I think he might even said something to Abdi. Who, somebody was still in there, but they yeah. all talked to each other. And it, you could tell. Yeah. It was really telling at that moment, Chris. I'll never forget that moment watching it and saying, I don't think there's a single. There are only like five people on the planet that want Galen Rupp to succeed and it makes me feel terrible <laughs> right but i feel the same way i mean but it makes me feel bad i feel guilty about it but it's like so nobody wants him to well, succeed. Yeah, accept his saw family uh, you know alberto's family and you know greg Mackin greg macken and that's it nobody else really nobody even really cares about him so or or even and at this point in time when he dropped out there it's like, literally, I had athletes that ran on the course, you know, we, one we'll name unmentioned because everybody knows who she is, was like, she would have kicked him in the balls if she just saw him on the sideline and been like, you know, F you, look, fuck you, I just beat you. Like, like literally would have taken that opportunity, but you know, I do feel bad for that scenario, but it just was telling that that happened. Now, I don't think, I don't think Karubi went too early. I think he needed to make that happen. I don't think it was the going too early part. I think it was the Going too fast, too early, and making too big a move at a at a juncture of the race, where it was a lack of understanding and knowledge about that course, uh, hubris or ignorance, whatever the case is, Karui will never make that mistake at Boston again if he comes back, because he now, as anybody knows, if you are going too hard through the Newton Hills and blasting the Newton Hills to blast the Newton Hills for any other reason than you are. Absolutely ready for it. You will think twice after watching Karui because even the best, one of the top two or three marathoners in the entire world did not respect that course and blasted very fast through that section and then came unglued. Chris, he lost two minutes in a matter of miles. Like yeah. he, when he blew up, it was just over. He was lucky he got second. Yeah, I mean, b was on him so fast he was lucky he got second.
0: Well, and he had the wardrobe malfunction. I mean, there's no telling. I would love to see if physicists do the math on the drag that that jacket was creating after we couldn't get it off him <laughs> because I mean, it was like a wind sail, yep. especially for somebody who's that lean. I mean, and light. you
1: you were all over that and I was <laughs> like, whatever, it's not that big a deal, but it, de- I definitely I think do it think it, it played. I do think it played a yeah. bit of a, a bit of that later on. Um, and certainly it was a, as much mon- as much a mental anchor to him as it was a physical anchor for right. sure. Cause he did keep sort of pulling at it and kept like, you could see he was out of sorts. He was uncomfortable. And, yeah. Yes, and it wasn't what he wanted, and he should have been able to, either it was a, a design flaw or <laughs> uh, or a user error, but regardless, it was definitely well, his undoing.
0: Well, and a lot of people described having their hands not be able to work because of it being so cold, so perhaps that's what happened with him. He just physically couldn't get the zipper, but nevertheless, Curry got second, Chad Rock, B. third, Brooks Hansen's two runners in the top three on on uh, each side, which is amazing for Brooks Hansen's. Now be is relatively new to that group. So it's not like he's come up in their system, but I think with him in their system, now you've got to
1: respect what be could potentially do. I mean, I think that he's probably knowing the system. He came from an Oregon based system and then he kind of bounced around from there. I mean, he, he is a natural marathoner and I think he will get better and better and better as this goes, as he goes on. In fact, I think, his result at, on Monday puts him in the conversation seriously for um, the Olympic team. He was already there in terms of the conversation, but now, in my mind, he's going to be one to beat. he's going to be somebody people are going to have to get after. you know he was Galen's former teammate yeah. and he has been he was in his shadow his entire career at Oregon, and I think he's going to relish any opportunity that he has to uh to to be the one they talk about rather than Galen. But, of course, people were still talking about Galen after the race.
0: <laughs> well, and, I mean, he's he's got the pedigree now. I mean, he's done it now, fourth in Boston last year, third this year. He showed up on tough courses in racing-style conditions. So he's got the experience that I think, uh, I, I agree with you, it makes him one of, I mean, it, and we talked about it before, I mean, Ruff is really... The only U.S. marathon are really worth talking about at this point, but I Not guess you got to put B-Watt in I, that conversation. I, I think we do.
1: He's now he's now had <laughs> big finishes at big time races and in inclement conditions that people have a hard time with. One thing I want to do say, what well, do want to say though, Chris? Is I, it, there? I guarantee you them with it by the time that Joffrey Kireui got a warm shower and had real had warm clothes on and some soup in his belly. He was already ready for his next race. Hmm. So I would, I would warn anyone out there that goes to sleep on Joffrey Karui and th- seems to think that oh, maybe no. this was less than optimal. I nearly think that he, I actually think he might be even better because of this experience. He gained so much experience from the decisions that he made on this route. He's got a really smart coach um, who will be sure that he pays attention to those things. And my guess is Karui seems to me is a guy who. No matter how smart his coach is, he's still sort of that stubborn guy who's going to do whatever he wants to, whatever he wants to. And perhaps now he'll, he'll, he'll pay a little closer attention to what his coach tells him and how things are said. We don't know any of the details on that, Chris, but it just seems that way, that he's that way, like the Cavalier, go it alone, do what I need to do kind of mentality. And believe, you, next time he races, he will, be, he will be fighting for the win, absolutely, no doubt. Another one you have to mention on the men's side, Tyler Pennell. We've
0: talked about him before in interviewing Pete Ray on this podcast, his coach from zap fitness zap had fourth place male finisher and then sixth place female finisher, at least if you're looking by time, Nicole DiMercurio.
1: So Peter Ray had a pretty good day for his athletes at zap, which is exciting. I I mean, I, I think I heard his post. I was listening to his post race interview while you were, I was, I was sort of listening over your shoulder. um, you know, and he, he was like, to him, it was business as usual, right? I mean, to Pete, it was right. like, this is what I expect this from my is athletes. This is, how I, this is how I train my athletes, you know? And they did exactly what I thought they would do. I don't think he was surprised in the least. He was even less surprised about Nicole's result than he was in a lot of ways than Tyler. I think Tyler, he probably didn't expect, would have the opportunity to run up that far. And I think Tyler's race was much better comparatively than Nicole's race was. Um, it's just the women's field, when it was decimated it was absolutely decimated. And the men, those who finished, did hold on stronger than... than, And so I think Tyler ran a a really, really good race. But even he was downplaying the results that he had and just was like, I just did... I made the adjustments that I needed to. I took my watch off. Coach said not to even pay attention to what was going on on race day in terms of the course. And I just ran by feel and tried to work with other people. Another key thing, Chris, I think that will come away from this Boston Marathon is Americans' willingness to work together to get a, a, a goal and recognizing I don't you don't need to race anyone in a marathon until 20 miles in you really don't need to I mean Kenyans will always do that and others will always do that don't tell Yuki you know mm-hmm. <laughs> Kawuchi, he will he will definitely be racing you one meter into the race but generally Americans unless it's the Olympic trials they could benefit a lot from doing a little bit more of that working together and and letting you know letting all the boats get into higher water because they're they're able to work together to make it work. I think that will be, I think that's a, that's something I hope all Americans will, will pay more attention to. Desi's legacy on the day for sure. All right, so those are
0: the elite fields. I, I think it's safe to say that there will never be another Boston Marathon like this. We've got to give some shout outs to some of our rogue athletes, our rogue women, women's team scored third in the team competition, the BAA Boston Marathon team competition, which is a really big deal, especially with the Northeast clubs. And we always get, Mark Bergman from our team always dutifully organizes our teams and gets us entered. And in this case, we had third place women with Kristen Tucker, Kate Barrett, and Rebecca Jones getting on the podium for the team competition. That's a cumulative time score amongst your top three fastest runners and our fourth runner and our fourth runner ran
1: 302 from the third wave (laughs) second wave Uh, the second wave but the the back back of the the second second wave wave. i mean she She, ran 302 from the back of the second wave on the worst weather condition day ever katie gwynn probably the race of the day i I gave that race to to chris schmidt earlier because uh, he just had a personal great day but i do think i you know between between our uh between Katie and um, Jim Moore, those were just incredible performances on the day.
0: So congrats to the Rogue Women. Jim Moore, you just mentioned, got fifth in his age group. He was going for a top 20 age group finish. He's 46, I believe, and got fifth in his age group, which is an insanely good result for him. Got a course PR in a 248. Sharon Vaughn from my group, who was going for a top five age group finish, got Fourth in her age
1: group. Amazing. Unbelievable. What a race.
0: At 65, she finished in four hours and 10 minutes to get fourth in her age group, which was awesome. You mentioned Chris Schmidt. He's been trying to break three hours for many years now and finally got it done with a three minute negative split. If you want to see textbook Boston splits, go look up Chris Schmidt's result to get his sub three. Finished with a 257 by closing out the last 5K and basically 615 paces. Just absolutely perfect run for him and And, you know, throughout the field, we had some of our podcast training, seven of our podcast training group members out there. And you know, I think the general thing was not everybody got their time that they wanted, their ache sort of goal, but they all left it
1: out there and competed hard, and that's what matters. so and anybody that we were able to get into contact with who Tried to denigrate their performance or say that they didn't have a good day from, you know, Amy Bowen to, you know, basically really Lee Brendel. We, we <laughs> hate to call him out again, this time on the main podcast, right? But we had to do some attitude corrections on the, on, you know, either live or, or, or on the Facebook page because some people just couldn't wrap their brain around why the day was so bad and why they had the performances they had. But one thing we're sure of, Chris, is that everybody's performance was impacted by a significant margin, and it's too hard to say exactly what that was, but suffice it to say it should be adjusted. Yeah, and we're super proud, super proud. I have
0: absolute respect for everybody who towed, towed the line, no matter the outcome. All right, see, we got to switch gears to London preview, given all the Boston hype we've Intentionally, sort of not talked about London because we got really excited about it early in the year and I think wore everybody <laughs> out with our Kipchogee, yes, our Kipchogee fanboy nature. So, but we did, we got to talk London. It's coming up here this coming Sunday if you're listening to this on Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. And as I mentioned at the top, the weather's going to be warm, it's going to be the polar opposite of Boston. In fact, they're sending emails out to London, London participants that basically say that they're expecting the hottest London temperatures on record on Sunday. For us, it's not too crazy. And even for Boston, it's not too crazy because it looks like the low in the morning, at least for those that are, understand Fahrenheit, it's going to be 58 degrees Fahrenheit getting to mid-70s later in the day, which is pretty similar to Boston into a warm boston kind of day so not crazy crazy hot for those that are used to that but certainly
1: warm for london and the fields are hot too <laughs> oh my god Heps. they are not hot these are like in fuego i do not know how to say it. like like <laughs> rocket fuel like standing uh, underneath atomic. a rocket when it takes off atomic yes it is it is crazy how good these fields are the I mean, are these are the greatest, stacked. these are the greatest, this is the greatest marathon field assembled, both the men's and women's, in my opinion. I mean, I am subject to hyperbole, so I do <laughs> do, do, do that frequently, but I mean, it's absolutely, especially the women's field, it's just, we've never seen this before. I mean, just,
0: and not just people who run fast times, but people who have won major races. So let's start with the women. You've got Mary Kataney who is the favorite. She's the defending champion, has run the women's only world record and a few ticks over 217. You've got Tiranesh Dababa, who would be, I think, consensus second pick for most people. She's the Chicago champion, finished second to Katani last year in London, also a 217 marathoner. You've got Vivian Churyat,
1: who is a, the Frankfurt Marathon champion. But also an absolute crazy, psycho good 5K, 10K runner on the track. She's yeah. known more for that than anything.
0: Yeah, and, and just a champion in general. I mean, she wins. She wins. You've got Rose Tolema, who, who won the world championships <laughs> last year and got second to Kiplegon in Boston. You've got Gladys Chirono, the Berlin champion. You've got Tufa, the London champion from 2015. Mari Debaba, the 2015 world champion. who also got the bronze in Rio. <laughs> I mean, and then in there, you've got Stephanie Bruce and Becky Wade from the U.S. who'd be the top Americans in the field. Just unbelievably stacked. Now, the questions or the things at play here, certainly there's a question of who will win, which we'll get to in a second, but there's been some discussions from Mary Cataney that she's, she wanted the organizers to get her male pacemakers to go after Paula Radcliffe's women's world record in a mixed field, 215 and change. And so, and we, we haven't heard the final word on whether or not they're actually going to go for that or not given the conditions, but she at least talked about going for the world record, having the pace setters go out in a 215 equivalent marathon pace, which, is, which hasn't been done since Paula
1: did it in london not n- n- a long time <laughs> not ago. only has it not been done but nothing approaching not within 2 minutes of it so so what do you think will will the world record be sniffed at all no, i don't think so chris i think i do think it is ver- with these two athletes going head to head even in weather conditions that are suboptimal um, i do think that the women's only world record has a chance to be broken but i don't think that the combined will and I think if Mary Katani decides to go after this, I'm, I, think, I don't think that DeBaba D- will go with her. I think that Debaba's a little bit smarter than that, and she'll probably just use the men, the women's pacers, the pacers that will be provided for a world record performance on this course, but go out at a minute and a half, you know, cumulative minute and a half, two minutes time slower. I, think, I, I predict DeBaba will go with the second group, if, even, if she, even if she is all alone, but she'll have pacers. So they may, may both have pacers, but I don't think Mary will be able to hold on. And I am, I think, I think this is a this is a big problem for Mary if she goes for that with the weather conditions the way they are. I think it's I think it's I'm not going to say it's suicide, but I do think it's not. I don't think it's the smartest move if you want to win. Um, now she hasn't said definitively that it was, you know, record or bust. Um, so there is also that situation where as they get closer and their advisors, give them, advisors and coaches give them more intel and they find out exactly how the weather is going to play, I think you're more likely to see is the two of them going with the pacers that are there available for them for long periods of time in the race um, at a 217, you know, the women's record, and then then the race is on. I do think late in the race most chances for a record will go away because they'll probably both be together and then how that plays out over the final 10k will be one of the most interesting um battles and probably the most interesting battle we will talk about in a long time from a women's marathoning perspective. This is the two greatest after time for sure going head to head toe to toe. This is um this is a better race in my opinion than the men's race is. Um don't I agree? Don't don't sleep on the men's race. I still think it's one of the greatest combined fields that's ever been assembled ever ever ever. But this is even better because it's just two women and they will be at it and they're better than everybody. They are they are significantly better than everybody else, even with all those other women's um re- results already. So it's difficult to
0: predict how this one will play out because we don't know exactly yet who's going for what and what the pacemakers are going to be set. And then the heat is enough to do and the heat is the enough heat. to make a change. But
1: if you were predicting this one, what would be your top 3? I'm going I'm going to Baba for the win. I don't think that I think that Mary's just going to go for it more than Debaba is I think Debaba's I think the weather conditions are going to play out late. I also think it's about time for Debaba to take over that. She's 32 years of age. Um, Katani is 36. While I don't think that that would be reason for me to pick Dababa over Katani, I think Katani is feeling the tick of the clock. I think the, what she lost at New York city will be in play here. I think she knows that she's, um, you know, only got another two years, which means she has got another three or four more marathons in her at this level. I do think you'll see her on the starting line at the Olympic marathon. But after that, I think will be, she'll be less than her best. And DeBaba, in my opinion, who's the greatest distance runner of all time, but not yet the greatest marathoner of all time, will be looking to seal that. And I think she'll run a smarter race. She has less to actually have to do here. And so I think she'll be smarter, and that will be, play the difference between these two. Um, after that, I have a very strong feeling that Vivian Chariot will be, will be in the third position. But I'm going to give this to um, Chalimo. Who is which, is which of the two, Chris, won the um, World Championship? Chalimo. Chalimo. I'm going to give it to Chalimo for third position because I just think that the value of that win is greater than what Vivian Chariot will be able to do. And I think Vivian is still too early in her marathoning career to be able to withstand the kind of temperatures, the kind of racing. And I think we'll be talking about Vivian when we talk about a fall marathon, another spring marathon as we go into the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. We'll be talking about her a lot more. So my pick is Dababa for the win, Katani for second, and Chelimo and for third. That's my one, two, three. Hmm. My wild card is definitely Chariot, um, if you can call someone like that. But she would be, for most people looking at all the rest of the results, she's the least resume of these athletes um, from a marathoning perspective. But I just think she's almost there, Chris but she's not quite. Fair enough. What about you? This what are you one, thinking?
0: This one's tough. But, I so I think Katani going to back off the world record attempt because I think at least the combined world record attempt, I think the weather conditions are going to be too warm. I think that's going to be obvious going in. And I think it probably plays to her advantage if that decision is made. So I'm going to go Katani for the win. Her coach and agent said in the press conferences yesterday that she's as fit as she was. Going into London last year where she won. So I'm going to go Katani for the win. And you know, I'm assuming she's not going for the world record as a part of that decision. Dababa for second. And I'm going to go with Gladys Chirono for third. Mm-hmm. Because of the, the Berlin experience and, and the fact that she got the win there. My issue with Chelimo is that I believe in her, but I believe in her more in a race, race situation. You know, she did well at Boston at World Champ without pacers. And I think she would do better in a situation if there were no pacers, although it will be interesting to see how she does here in a, in a paced race. Well, there very really well may time. not be pacers. You know, a lot of That's what you're true. doing is Where basing
1: she's... yours on what happens from a weather conditions and push. Do you don't get those asterisks don't count when we do the. Yeah. points afterwards, Chris, just so you no, know. I understand. So I'm not asking. You can make for, your arguments, but I'm not asking for <laughs> asterisks. I'm just telling you what my arguments are.
0: <laughs> so, Katani, Dababa, Chirono for me. One, two, three. But it's going to be interesting and you have a long list of of athletes that could be in there. you got Churya, you got Tufa, Debaba. All, all of those three could, imme- could end up on the podium and if something happens with Kateni or Dababa and they blow up, it's wide open. Yeah,
1: extremely likely for us not to be correct in our and our assessments here. Yes, as we saw in Boston.
0: Now, on the U.S. side, you've got Stephanie Bruce and Becky Wade is the top American. Stephanie Bruce is trains with the NAZ, Northern Arizona Elite Group that we talked about in our Boston coverage that Kellen Taylor trains with. Ben Rosario is her coach. She's been working on speed. She, she competed on some shorter stuff over the winter and has also been doing crazy, crazy miles. She's the mom of two as well. And it seems like she's going for a big PR here. Her PR, if I don't, if I remember correctly, is 227, 228 in that realm. And it seems like she's going to try to push that down. She hasn't stated exactly what she's shooting for, but it seems like she's going to try to push that down. A la Amy Hastings Craig, what she did in Tokyo, something in the 223 and a 224 range, potentially. So she's going to be going fast. And while I don't think that'll put her on the podium, it should, it should have her in the top 10 if she's able to pull that off, depending on who finishes in front of her. And Becky Wade also has a PR around that. kind of 229, 230 level from CIM several years ago. She hasn't had a big marathon result since then and has struggled with injury and done some other things. She's the Rice University grad we've mentioned a few times. She right? had a great, A great Houston half in prep for this. That's right, So it'll be interesting to see how she does. I know she's been doing a little bit more volume than normal, training in in Boulder. And so we'll see. We'll see what we get from Becky, but definitely rooting for, for her and Stephanie to have big PR kind of days. I don't think they'll be in the mix for the racing, but if they can get some big PRs, that will be big in building confidence towards the trials for 2020. All right, let's talk about the men's race, Steve. We've got, again, a stacked field. Elliot Kipchoge, of course, who didn't race London last year because he was going for the Breaking 2 effort. And you've got Daniel Wanjiru, defending champion, Gye Adola, who finished second to Kipchoge in Berlin. You've got Kinesia Bekele who finished second last year to Wanjiru in London. You've got Abel Karui, who finished second in Chicago to Rupp. And then you have, of course, Mo Farah. This is not his first marathon, but his first real attempt at going fast in a marathon. And he has stated that he's going to be trying to break Steve Jones's record. We interviewed Steve Jones on the podcast. He's trying to get under 207.13 to break that record. And has also said in his interviews that he's going to go with the leaders whether they go for world record pace or not. Kipchoge said in his press conference they hadn't decided yet on a pace. I think everybody's waiting to see what the weather does. And I was, would suspect that given the warmer weather, they will also not be going out in world record pace. But it'll be interesting. Kipchoge was asked in his press conference what kind of result he wants or what, it, what he wants to do on Sunday. And his result, to quote you, Steve, is to run a beautiful race which is like the Kipchoge Yoda answer of all Kipchoge Yoda answers. <laughs> I'm glad that he's been listening to our podcast. Yeah. Kipchoge, thank you for listening. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting. Kipchoge also has been playing mind games with Farah a little bit. He posted on his Facebook page several weeks ago a yeah. race from, I believe it was six years ago. 2012. 2012. Yes. Two-mile race where he and Farah went head-to-head on the track, and the great one beat him. Zero relevance to what's
1: happening on Sunday, but But anyway, it's a mind game kind (laughs) of
0: thing that I love for sure. And so, you know, I think if the weather was better, we'd be talking about whether the world record could go down in this field. And so, I'm just gonna kind of dismiss that talk. I don't think it's really worth the debate. I think even if they go for it, it's gonna be too hot for that. But what do you think in terms of predictions? Let's just go straight to that. Who has a
1: chance? to unseat the great one, if anyone. I think I think a lot of people have a chance to unseat the great one, in my opinion. I think this is very similar to the way that people felt about last year's or well, the 2016 Olympic Games with Mo in the eight in the five and the ten, where, you know, the question what well, I mean it was on the the pressure was on Mo on those races and he won one of the two. But it's like which way will that play out? I think I think there's a believe me, Dola is ready and he is not afraid to go after Kipchoge. I think he is the the in my opinion in this field um he's the most dangerous, the most likely to up uh, upend Kipchoge. Um I think the next most likely to upend Kipchoge is actually Wanjiru. I think he is in a better position than Bekele. A lot of people will be like, "Well, where's your Bekele love?" Until Bekele re- he's 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 made me look bad I twice. Mean, look,
0: he has a better chance of DNFing
1: than beating Kipkelga. That's correct. So he's made us look bad so much that I'm like I'm just not going to go with Picale. I'll, I'll be I'll be jumping up and down going crazy if he does, but I just don't think it's going to happen. I do think there's an outside story, there's another storyline there with Picale about if he does come back and he does win this thing, what would happen? But that to me is just a side conversation, one that would be um, you know, mildly interesting. Normally I'd be excited, ecstatic about it, but I just watched I just watched um, Desi Linden do something that was really, really, really inspiring. So, Ke- but Kelly just doesn't inspire me anymore. But I think, you know, you're looking at three guys, really, in this in this race, in my opinion, that you really need to be paying attention to. Um, Kipchoge, Adola, and Wanjuru. I don't think that Mo. i think Moe is going to be just happy. He's going to go out with these guys. He's going to play it. But I think that that just makes sense from him because I think he's going to go after the— UK record, and I think he'll break the UK record pretty handedly. Even in hot weather conditions, I think he'll be able to do that. Now, who do I pick? Well, I'm just going to pick, I've got to pick Kipchoge because Mm -hmm. to, to my mind, I just don't know how you can make the argument against. I just think he's won against all these guys whenever he needed to, however he needed to. I think he's he dodged a bullet at Berlin last year, and he knows it, and I think his preparation has focused on that. He stayed below the radar, Chris, in a way that he occasionally popped his head up to throw, you know, little little flares in the air to try to get people to focus on some other things. And I think he's going to come president. correct. I think he's going to run a savvy, a very accomplished race, one that we will look back in time, whether he goes from the front or he sits back. Either way, none of these other guys can beat him. I'm going to pick Adola for, the second, for second place, Chris. Um, I'm not confident with that one. I really want to pick Wayne Jirud for, for two because I just feel like there's something else there with the win last year and the way he's been running and he's still pretty new at this marathoning stuff. I think he's going to be among the best. But I do think that Adola learned some things from Kipchoge and I do feel that there's a good chance that those two guys will be gone away and Adola will be the one who follows him more consistently and concretely. I also think there's an anger in that training group since Tola dropped out at Boston this year uh, just you know, just last, the other day. I think that there's some proof there. I guarantee the coach will be putting a lot of pressure in this situation. I think Adola will get second, and I'm putting Wanjuru third. What are you calling, Chris? And how do you see it playing out? Well, I think the only thing you need to
0: know about Kipchoge's chances of winning were answered when he said he wanted to run a beautiful race. So I don't think there's any way I could pick against him. He's I mean, he's like, I wish you could bottle up his mind, his marathon mind and put it in my mind or anybody's (laughs) mind because he just seems to have it figured out. I mean, he's only been beaten one time in a major marathon and that was a long time ago. I mean, the guy just wins in, in these kinds of things. And I think the heat plays to his advantage. I agree because he's, he has shown he can deal with any sort of conditions. He did it at Rio on a warm day. And I think he'll do it on Sunday in London on a warm day. I've got Wanjuru second because I think he's a gamer. I think he's a baller. I think he beat Bikali last year, which was a big confidence builder. And I think he'll, he'll be one that tries to confidently challenge Chip Chogi in the final miles. But I don't see that he'll be able to do so. I think Adola, you know, for me, it's like one thing you always see with these marathons is there's often a a beginner's luck with number one. And I think Adola might've had his beginner's luck His sort of his naivete (laughs) carried him Mm -hmm. to what he got in Berlin. And now he's had a lot of time to think about it. A lot of time to get sort of wound up about trying to go back at beating Kipchoge, which I think will be energy, not well spent. And so I'm, I'm not picking Adola on the podium. I'm not picking Bakeley on the podium. I think Bakeley will DNF. I I like Karui, but I, I just don't think he's fast enough to beat or to hang with these guys. So I'm gonna pick Farah for cool. third. And I think he'll break the British record. I think he'll run something in the two oh five high to two oh six range to to get third. Wanjuru won last year in two oh five and change, so I don't think it's unreasonable for Farah to get kind of say maybe around a 206 206 for third. So those are my three. Kipchoge, Wanjiru, Farah. We will see. Now, the the next question we have to ask ourselves is how will the Americans do? We've got Sam Chalanga coming off his top U.S. finish at the World Half Marathon Championships. Has had a couple of half marathons, solid half marathons this winter. And, of course, Fernando Cabada, who was also in that race, who ran, I think, three minutes slower than Cholanga. It seems like Cholanga, who trains with the Scott Simmons Group in Colorado Springs with the U.S. Army crew, seems like he's due for a bit of a breakout,
1: at least time-wise, in the marathon. What would you expect from him? I, I normally am extremely bullish on Chalanga. You know this. I, I picked him to do the bet, be the best American finisher at the, uh, at the Houston half, and he ran it spectacularly there, Chris, and ran um, a race that I think put him in a position where he truly believes that he can be competitive. I think he's found a true leader um, in Simmons, and I think he feels really strong and committed and to know that he's going to be really ready to run this race. I don't think he's going to be ready for the heat. You know, I think that unless they went off somewhere and did some specific heat training, which in the United States right now is not an easy thing to accomplish anywhere. Here in Austin, we've had the best weather we've had in many, many years in terms of training over the last month. I don't know where he could have gone to get heat training. And I think it's going to be hard enough for a guy like Chalenga. He's going to need things to play out perfectly, to play it out well. I do think he'll run well, Chris. I think we'll get a 208 out of him maybe. I think that will be, and that would be from an American standpoint, just a stellar and amazing race. But I don't think you're going to see him run something crazily good. I think you can see 208 to 210 probably coming from Chelanga. I, I hope we don't get a 212. If we get a 212 out of Chelanga, regardless of the heat, I just don't think. I just don't think we'll see him. I think it'll be hard for him to come back and re- rebound from that. I know you're going to say to me, "What are you talking about? 208 sounds amazing." Right. I do. I just think he's ready for better than that, and I think that what we've been seeing from I think that Scott's going to have him ready to race. But I do worry that he might get excited and push and try hard, and the heat could cook him. Um, I still think you know two away to two. I think two away on the very fastest side, two ten on the slowest side. I hope unless he just cracks terribly. But I do think Chalenga is somebody who we will who who is a, a name we will be talking about. And I think you might get sort of a a, a Stanley watt kind of race out of Chilenga, but it won't be one that puts him in the mix of the people that are at the top of this race. Probably won't even get him in the top seven of the race. If the top 10. I'm going to
0: say 211, 212 for Chalanga. Cool. I do think this is his chance to, with B-Watt, submit his positioning amongst the top three Americans for the 2020 trials. But I agree with you. With the Heat, it's going to be tough. If he ran a 208, I think that would be fantastic. I think that would be, boom, there you go. He would probably even jump ahead of B-Watt in my mind in terms of being in position for the 2020 trials. And I hope he does, because honestly, American marathoning needs it. I just don't see it happening this weekend. And Kibata, I don't think is worth mentioning. The, Barring uh, some miracle,
1: he won't, he I, won't have won't. The reason that I think day. that Chalenga might be in a position to do that is I don't think that... But, but before the weather, right? So before they hear about the weather or heard about the weather, I know these guys were going for 206. So I, I can guarantee you they were going for 206. So I think the coach is going to be smart enough to make him make adjustments for the weather and the heat. I'm interested to see how that plays out and whether Chalenga listens to him. So I just think I'm really bullish. I don't think Chilenga can beat Rupp at this point, but I do think that you're talking about Chilenga as a guy who I want I want everybody in the United States to pay attention to him, even though he's had you know he he didn't run well in his first marathon. He dropped out, didn't he? Or he or he,
0: he had a DNF. Yeah, yep.
1: I think that that he's just shown the results, and this guy is an absolute warrior. He knows how to show up on race day, and he's got a true coach coaching him now. So. We'll see how it plays out, Chris. It'll be interesting. We
0: will see. I'm rooting for him, to be clear. All right, so that concludes our Boston Recap in London preview. I do want to mention that for those that want to tune in to lo- to watch London, it is going to be on NBCSN, as every other major marathon seems to be, and will be on NBC Sports Gold. So if you haven't bought the track and field pass and paid the 80 bucks, it's time to do it. You're going to have several things to watch throughout the year, and that's a year-long subscription. The NBC Sports Gold Feed starts at 3.30 a.m. Eastern, although the elite women's race doesn't go off until 4.15 Eastern, and then the men's race at 5 Eastern. So if you're watching from the U.S., those are the times you can tune in to see what's going on, and we will, of course, bring you our recap in some future episode. So... As always, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Rogue Running or on our website at roguerunning.com. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.